Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on the State of Ukraine, a story of childhood love and loss in war. I'm Greg Dixon, and today we're going to hear a longer story about two Ukrainian children, a pair of six-year-old friends who were separated by the Russian invasion. NPR's Alyssa Nadwerny brings us this story, and she's here with me. Hey. Hi, Greg. You've been following a class of Ukrainian kindergartners for eight months, and the two friends you're going to tell us about today, they come from that class, right? That's right. In this kindergarten class, there were 27 students, and more than half have left the country of Ukraine. These two are among them. And I want to go first to their kindergarten teacher, who first told me about their friendship. The two friends met in Arena Sahan's bright green kindergarten class in the northeast Ukrainian city of Kharkiv. This is young love, Irina says, pointing to a yearbook photo where two blonde children are holding hands, smiling at the camera. Daniel Bizev and Aurora Demchenko. Aurora, headstrong with a big personality. Daniel, a good listener. They'd sit next to each other and giggle, sometimes distracting the other students. In the yellow yearbook Arena holds on her lap, they're in every photo together. That friendship, Arena's whole kindergarten class, came to an abrupt stop when Russia invaded Ukraine last February. Most of Arena's students are now scattered across Ukraine and the world. Those two best friends, Daniel and Aurora, they'd gone the farthest from home and from each other. Aurora in Spain and Daniel in America. I had so many questions. Were they still in touch? Did they remember each other? Had they made new friends? It's our pleasure to welcome you to Westchester County. Producer Lauren Magaki and I visited Daniel first. He now lives with his parents and two brothers in a white two-story house about an hour from New York City. A little bit different in Ukraine because, like, in Ukraine, you usually live in an apartment, but there's no upstairs. In the six months Daniel's been in the States, his English has flourished. He'd started learning years ago. His parents, mom Christina and dad Yevgeny, had been planning to emigrate to the U.S. since before Daniel was born. When the war happened, they moved up their timeline. Because we wanted to save our lives and the lives of uh, our children. So for us, it was obvious to leave. The house is pretty empty. They didn't take much with them. And Daniel's been missing his bedroom back in Kharkiv. There were so many books. So many stories. He's been making his own hand-drawn picture books to fill the space. This book is about monsters scared of the night. (laughs) He does have one special book he wants to show us. This is me, and this is me, and this is me. It's a version of that yearbook Irina Sahan showed us in Kharkiv. His mom got digital proofs and printed the book. (laughs) Where's Aurora? He points to a picture of the two of them. They're holding a basket together, smiling at each other. What's happening in that photo? Just standing next. Just standing next to her, huh? Yeah. What do you remember about her? Mm, She likes to play soccer. Danielle loves her because uh, she's 
and not so girlish. Kind of. He likes to play with cars. Yeah. She <laughs> His mom, Christina, pulls out her phone and scrolls to a video yeah. Daniel sent Aurora last hmm. summer. Yeah, here it is. He says he misses her very much and please call me, I want to see you. Just kisses for you. So is he still kind of hung up on her? I think so, yes, because he has a bear, big bear. It's a stuffed bear that he sleeps with each night. He says, I pretend that it's Aurora and I just hug her and... I'm like, okay, so, yeah, it's it's hard. I just couldn't imagine what's going on in his head and in his, like, soul. Christina and her husband, they're not sure exactly how to handle this. Daniel hasn't seen Aurora in a year, and now they live on different continents. Should we keep talking about her or just quit this um, topic at all? Aurora and her family... They never answered that video message Daniel sent. Was it too painful to stay in touch? Or had they just gotten busy adjusting to life in a new country? Nearly 4,000 miles away in Valencia, Spain, Aurora Demchenko now lives in a high-rise apartment with her parents and her three energetic brothers. When we meet Aurora, we were expecting that big personality her Kharkiv teacher described. But instead, she's shy and timid. I'm Alyssa. What's your name? Aurora. Life right now, it's a bit overwhelming. She's learning English at school and in the afternoons. Hola. She takes Zoom lessons in Ukrainian and Spanish. The apartment has a familiar emptiness, like Daniel's home. But there are a few reminders of Kharkiv, a painting in Ukrainian colors, and that yellow yearbook from the kindergarten. Aurora and her mom, Marina, spread out on the bed and leaf through the book. A friend of the kindergarten teacher, Irina Sahan, had brought it to Spain. The family drove two hours just to pick it up. As they look through, Marina points out pictures of Aurora and Daniel. Do you remember you always saved a seat for him? No, I don't remember, Aurora says. You were inseparable. I don't remember, Aurora says. Remember when your teacher would scold you for being too silly? Aurora shakes her head. No, Aurora repeats. It didn't happen. You have forgotten about this, haven't you, Marina says. She's surprised how much Aurora insists she doesn't remember. But research shows blocking out painful memories is one of the ways the brain tries to cope with trauma. Over homemade bowls of rizolnik, a dill, and pickle soup, the family tells us about when they first came to Valencia. Like many Ukrainian refugees, they've been granted temporary protection to live in Europe. Aurora's dad, Alex, remembers it was during Las Fayas, Valencia's week-long fire festival filled with loud music, parties, and fireworks in the street. And it's, it's happened in the city center. Aurora, who had just fled different types of explosions, asked her parents, has the war come to Spain? Aurora, it's, it's bombing. We go in the basement. With so much change and uncertainty, the family has clung to reminders of home. 
like that yearbook, and a single fork her 13-year-old brother Sasha brought from their kitchen in Kharkiv. Yeah, like, accidentally. Because like I used the same um, backpack for school, so like I accidentally took this in my bag. <laughs> now everyone fights yes. over it. For much of our visit, Aurora is glued to her big brother Sasha's side. I joined them on the floor playing Legos. Did you remember your classroom? Yes. While we build, I show Aurora photos of us visiting her kindergarten classroom in Kharkiv. This is a baby school. This is a baby class. I try again to ask about Daniel, showing her photos of our trip to New York. Oh, I know that Daniel is in the U.S., she exclaims in Russian. He's a good artist, too, just like you. Yes. We scroll to a photo of Daniel's homemade book about monsters. I make two books. You did? Yeah. But those books are still in Kharkiv, she says, her eyes drifting, losing interest. Sasha leans over and whispers to her. Would you like to meet up with Daniel? Aurora is clearly uncomfortable, mumbling first in Russian, and then she stands up and storms off. I turn to translator Hanna Palmarenko. When, when he asks about Daniel, that's all. The interview's over. Yes. I ask Sasha what he thinks is going on. I don't know, maybe because of the problems with in Ukraine, maybe. Yeah, you think there's like a sadness? Yes. Maybe she thinks that she will not see any one of them. So I just want to pause here, Alyssa, because this is just an interesting process. I, I imagine you set out to report two separated friends, and then you, you're finding two kids now who are sort of dealing with the aftermath of of them leaving their home in very different ways. I think we thought we were going to do this story of friendship, and it ended up being a story about loss, the loss of friendship. And when we went to Valencia and we met Aurora, we realized, you know, she's processing this in a very different way than Daniel was. And, you know, we kind of asked ourselves, like, are we doing this to them? Yeah. I mean, we're bringing up the past. We're bringing up this friendship. And certainly with Aurora, she was not liking that. She, the interview was over. She stormed away. Yeah. Yeah. So when we got back from our trip to Spain, we wanted to see Daniel again. And so I messaged Christina, his mom, to say we'd love to come back and visit you. And I got this text message from Christina, Daniel's mom. Our visit in November, where we looked through the yearbook with him, it left him in tears for days. She says, happy to have you visit us, but please don't remind Daniel about Aurora. Oh, wow. That must have been a hard text message to get. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it paralleled so much of what we had just experienced with Aurora in Spain of kind of this like, okay, maybe it's time to like not talk about the past. So what did you do? Well, you know, we went and visited Daniel. Here's what happened. What are you doing? <laughs> when we arrive in early February, it's just before dinner time, and Daniel and his brother Adam are playing in the living room. Their littlest brother Leo runs around in his diaper. Daniel's been taking breakdancing lessons after school and is demonstrating a headstand. That's how it makes it spin. These last several months, They've been filled with activities, like breakdancing and soccer and swimming. As I'm interviewing Daniel, his dad arrives home from working in New York City. 
and he heads straight to me. Uh, please don't, uh, don't mention, yeah. you, you know. He's making sure I got Christina's message. Aurora, the kindergarten, it's off the table. He's uh, still probably in love with her. Since we visited in November, Christina sought out a psychologist at an event for Ukrainian refugees. So I asked about the situation of Aurora. And she said that it's fine to talk when he like set up uh, this conversation, not you. Just don't, don't remind him about that. And so they've been avoiding it, and we do too. Instead, we talk about football. Daniel is now a Bills fan. Let's see. I think I know this. And he's gotten some new books in Russian and Ukrainian to fill those empty shelves. Oh my goodness. That looks like so creepy. What does it say? Oh, I, I can't read in Russian and Ukrainian. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. This new strategy, staying busy, Christina says it's actually been working. It took time for him to understand that we are not going to see each other for a while. Daniel's really happy, she tells me a number of times. Now he talks about her like less and less. Maybe someday, she hopes, Daniel and Aurora will be reunited. Maybe when the war in Ukraine is over and they can share their new lives and new friends and neither of them will be sad. Such big emotions for seven-year-olds to process. And it was, it's fascinating just to hear them both sort of letting go of their previous life and trying to sort of stop thinking about it. Yeah, and I told their stories to child psychologists who study trauma and migration, and they were actually, like, really optimistic after they heard these stories. Interesting. That children are resilient and adjustable, and the brain, you know, in forgetting or letting go is just protecting, and that with the right support and loving families, they're going to be okay. Alyssa, you spent eight months reporting this with lots of different families. Is there a big takeaway from this project that you've been working on? I think it's just how a small thing can tell you such a bigger story. To understand the implications of a global conflict through the eyes and voices of two seven-year-olds, that is how we understand the world. (laughs) Yeah. Being able to put yourself or people you love into that situation and feel what it must be like. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The State of Ukraine. This story was edited by Steve Drummond and Nishant Dehia and produced by Lauren Nagaki. Interpretation by Hannah Palomarenko. Please come back for more on the war and its impacts around the world. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Macmillan Audio. One of the most thought-provoking books about the Middle East, Thomas L. Friedman's From Beirut to Jerusalem, is now available as an unabridged audiobook featuring a new preface read by the author. Find it wherever audiobooks are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.